Let's bow our hearts together in prayer. Let's all pray. Our Father, who so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son, we acknowledge and marvel at your mercy. That's why we've come together this evening to extol the name of the one who, even while we were enemies, reconciled us. Even while we were strangers, Father, you made us fellow heirs with Christ of all eternal blessings. Even while we stood condemned, you redeemed us. Even while we were imprisoned, you delivered us from the tyranny of sin, death, and the devil. And on this evening, Father, this solemn occasion, as we gather for worship, we rightly loathe our miserable estate, but we also celebrate your marvelous grace. That, Lord, as you have brought us near tonight, as you bring us again beneath the cross of Christ, we come to know that ours is the guilt. We know it, Lord. We know our hearts. Prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. But yours is the forgiveness. Ours is the condemnation. Wretched men and women we are. But yours is the gift of justification. Ours is the bondage, dead in trespasses and sins to begetting sins, to sins of omission, to sins of commission, that that old nature continues to war against us. And yet yours is the gift of freedom, the gift of adoption, the gift of new obedience. Father, even the faith with which we confess our dear Savior's sacrifice was won for us by his death. That there is nothing in our hands that we can bring. That simply to the cross we cling. And so therefore, our Lord and Heavenly Father, we cry out to you tonight in sorrow for our sins and in thanksgiving for your gift. And so, Father, may we not gloss over that sin and rush to the sacrifice. Because that sin is great. And without a deliverance, Lord, it would separate us from you always. And yet, Father, thanks be to you for your indescribable gift of your Son. And by grace alone, through faith alone, in that Son, providing us all things through the working of your Word and Holy Spirit. And so we pray you, Father, give us the grace, we pray to receive again the word of the cross, to hear it in every one of its details. Just one word in the original language, they crucified him. And yet, Father, let us receive again that word, which alone can refresh us on this pilgrim way and which can send us forth knowing the new life that comes on Sunday, going out into this world again as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Father, we go out with his message. We go out with that truth. And so, Father, remove from us any hardness of heart tonight. 
that would not pause to marvel and wonder in your grace given to us. Any hardness of heart not to consider the robes that you have robed us in, washed in his blood, fully outfitted with his righteousness. Father, keep us from any hardness of heart that believes we've heard all of this before. Any hardness of heart that would would cause us to look to our own works as any part of that salvation. And so rightly bring us before you, before your word, before the table, recognizing the communion that we need. That what we need is a participation in the body and blood of Christ. To be in Christ Jesus, in his death and in his resurrection and in his glorious ascension and in him in the day to come in that triumphant return. And so, Father, we thank you for the grace that you make known to us in your one and only Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we ask all these things in his name. Amen. Let's take up our Bibles at this time and turn to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Galatians chapter 3. We'll read tonight from verses 15 to 21, and we'll take for our text tonight verses 20 and 21. And so we pay special attention to the reading of God's Word because it is that, the infallible and errant Word of Almighty God. To give a human... Excuse me. There we go. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it. I'm sorry, Galatians 2, that's a typo. It's like, this is not my text, and there's a good reason why. Galatians 2, verse 15. Much better. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. And now our text, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Our Father, we pray, make this word known to us. Open our hearts to receive it. Father, change your people by way of your word. And Lord, may you be praised in it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved congregation of the Savior crucified for us and for our salvation, what do you know about Good Friday? And maybe you think back to other Good Friday services that you've gone to, perhaps your own preparation for night and tonight and whatever you've gone through of thinking about Lent or whatever other practices, family worship-wise, that you take part in. What has been the center of your focus? What is the thing that you think about, that thing that you focus on in approaching the remembrance of the sacrifice and death 
of Jesus Christ. For we know that there are those who simply think about it historically. This is the, these are the events of Holy Week. And so here is the day in which we stop and pause, thinking about that day in which Christ was crucified. Sometimes we will think about it in terms of our own denial of Christ, that even our hymnody speaks of that, I it was denied thee, I crucified thee. Knowing the darkness of our own sinful natures, joining with those crying out for Jesus to be crucified. There are still others who think about the the physical pain, the actual process of crucifixion, the taunts and the mocking, those that take time to consider Christ's words from the cross. And those are all good things to think about. They're all the things of, of that word. They provide a context. They grant us an understanding. But have we given ourselves to knowing that crucifixion? Especially in terms of knowing what it has worked. Because too often in the focus of all of those things, all of those environmental concerns, how long was the journey, how heavy was the cross, how long were the nails, how much blood, how much asphyxia, how... What's the point? What's the purpose of all of this? Why has he needed to die in the first place? How does it apply to me? Why is it for me? Have we given ourselves to knowing Christ? Because while all of those other things are still important, without taking the time, even in this evening, to know Christ, body given, blood shed, to know the one willing to do all the things, even this that we've read from Mark for our salvation. Apart from knowing that, to know Christ and what he has worked for us and promised us by way of his death, we've missed it. We know facts and knowledge and environment, but we don't take the time to know Jesus. And it's so vitally important that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, what? For I decided to know, not just mental assent, to know, to know the ins and outs of what? Nothing among you all except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That this is the thing of first importance, that Christ died according to the Scriptures, That Paul makes plain that the thing of utmost importance is knowing Jesus and knowing union with him, yes, in life and faith, but but also in his death. That there is a communion in that thing, in that event. And in that way, properly, our focus moves away from ourselves. And perhaps the darkness or grief carrying that we seek to to redevelop and take up. As if we think our our forgiveness is in doubt or we need this in in a brand new way again. It moves it away from that to Him. Because all that I ever am or hope to be is found in union with Christ. And by sharing. 
by participating even in his crucifixion. And so we give ourselves to the need to make a good confession tonight, and it's this. I have been crucified with Christ. That that is what we need to take with us. I have been crucified with Christ. Which means three things that I want to look at with you briefly tonight. My life is his, my faith is his, and my grace is his. But my life is his. Because the problem that we have, and I think it's beautiful in the way that Paul creates this this beginning in Galatians 2.20, is he begins with I. Because that's where we want Good Friday to start. I denied thee, I crucified thee, I yelled out with the scoffers, I am the sinner. We make Good Friday the sinner's focus. But it's not about your identity. It's not first and foremost about your life, your direction, your will. It is not even first and foremost about your sin, your guilt, and your shame, though that needs to be dealt with. But that doesn't come beforehand. His work is done first. And that work is applied to you that you might come and bring all of that sin and guilt and shame to the cross. But that participation is of first importance. I have been crucified with Christ. Which means I am dead. That's what Paul is communicating first. That none of the praise is about me. That none of the narrative is first about me. It is about him. That the I, that is my old self. Of which he says in Romans 6 verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would be no longer enslaved to sin. Through that death, I am free. Free in Christ. I am dead, but have been crucified with him, dead to sin, dead to the law, dead to death itself. I am dead to the evil one. I am set wholly free because none of those things in being crucified with Christ have power over me anymore. That's the great promise of his work. None of these things has power over me as one found in Christ Jesus not having a righteousness of my own. That's the wonder of what he has done. In fact, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I no longer live because I have been bought at a great price. The greatest of price. At the given body and the shed blood of the Savior. Which means my life is his. I have no more claim to it. I have no life apart from him. And so I must. I must be and need to be wholly dependent upon him for that life, yea, for all things. That is the importance that Paul is speaking. Don't seek to understand Good Friday apart from union with Christ. Apart from the vine, no plant grows. Apart from the root, there is no nourishment. For us, apart from that true vine, we are nothing and we have nothing. So that life then is given to him. It's freely offered to him. Here is my heart. Here is my life, Lord. I offer it promptly and sincerely. For those who belong to Christ, 
It's written in Galatians 5, 24. I've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. My life is wrapped up in a passion for him. In acknowledging what he has done for me and what I participate in together, we have died that we might have life in him. And so if my life is this now, that which he graciously offers, in giving his life, he has given us his, should not our life look like and be like Jesus? That that becomes the examination tonight. Not am I worthy of salvation? Of course not. Am I worthy enough to come? You could never be worthy enough to come. But does my life look like his? Am I abiding in him? Do I find all of my life in him? Paul writes 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are what? Still in guilt? You shouldn't be. Still clinging to your sin, you ought not to. It is left at the cross. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Do you believe that all your life is Jesus Christ? That all your hope for it in the now and in the life to come is the life of Christ? Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves? That Jesus Christ is in you. But here's the sobering bit of Paul, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Is your life the life of Christ? Does your life give testimony to him, not just in a word, but in an actual all-of-life perspective, that all you are and ever hope to be is Christ? Christ must live in you and grow in you if you are to grow into this life and in the one to come. That is what he has accomplished. Even in death, he has brought us and granted to us life. And we can live that life in that way because our faith is his too. For the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's what life is now. At an understanding of the cross, in a life lived always under its shadow, that's what it is. My life always, not just later, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven to live. I have been, I am now crucified with Christ. And so I live not just later, but right now. I live in this flesh, yes, but not after the flesh. I live in this flesh, how? As one made alive in Jesus Christ. One who is living and active in my God and in my Savior. And we do it by faith. Faith, that trust and that commitment of putting all of my confidence and all of my hope only and wholly in that other. Because there is no other way and there is no other hope. That Paul is saying here what we all ought to confess. My new life is bound up in faith in the Son of God. Why? Romans 8.10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. I live by faith in that Son of God. But what is the wonder of that faith? What do I have to believe? He loves me. And he gave himself for me. He loved me. 
and he gave himself for me. The son is the only right object of our faith. That faith in the wonder of what he has given us, that which we are to live out, can only be because he loved us and gave himself for us. While we were yet sinners, he loved us so much that he was willing to die for us. That's what's given to you. The Son of God, true God, becomes man to love you with agape, to love you with that most awesome, unconditional, covenantal love, to do all things for you and for your salvation. And the gift enough, gift is precious enough to say what? He loved the world so that he gave his only. He gave his one and only that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That that faith that we live out says what? He gave himself. He paid my ransom. He atoned for my sin. He satisfied the wrath of God for me. He cleansed every one of my stains, every one of my blemishes. He gave everything to have me. That Paul is speaking it personally in the way that we speak it to. He gave himself, surrendering himself voluntarily to the judgment of the wicked, that he could give himself the sacrifice for our sins, so that he could take my curse upon himself, so I could be redeemed in righteousness. Who gave himself, Titus 2.14, for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people of his own possession. They are mine. I have done this for your re- this reason. I am jealous for you. And I will have you and all of you for myself. For his own possession, who then what? Are zealous for good works. Because in understanding what's been given for me, I long to serve him. That that faith exercises as I seek to do his will. 2 Thessalonians 2.13, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God shows you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, through the working of faith. And for what reason? So that we can live in him. So that in faith, we would be found in relationship with him. So that the death of Jesus would be known by us as ours personally for our faith. And by way of the same, it says what? Let us put that sin to death and find that life and that faith that he has given holy and only in him. And that's the wonderful working of grace. Because he has saved me without me, but by faith alone which means that my grace is all his, and that in the last place. Because it's why Paul here then doubles back. It's why verse 21 becomes so important in that understanding of verse 20. I do not nullify the grace of God. This is his. But I warn you, Christian, it is the great temptation for his people on Good Friday. 
to exalt our guilt rather than His grace. To hang on to our failings rather than to find our peace with God by faith. To hang on a dour life that believes that God has been tight-fisted in His pouring out of grace rather than pouring out grace upon grace upon grace in victory in Jesus Christ our Savior. That it is that warning, but that encouragement to us. I must not deny the grace of God. I mustn't presume upon it, but I mustn't deny deny it. I must not reject the wonder of salvation being of grace alone. I must not seek to dismiss it or to seek another way. I must renounce myself. I have been crucified with Christ. And so it continues to loop back through. And so I must renounce myself and my works and embrace all that Christ has accomplished on the cursed tree of Calvary by grace alone, through faith alone. In Jesus Christ alone. That is the only way of salvation. That is the only way of the receipt of all the blessings and benefits that Christ has promised to us in his death and more so in his life. It is the only way of justification. It is the only way of sanctification of all the benefits divine which in union with Christ we possess now. And yet that old nature keeps saying what? Yeah, but can I do something? Doesn't this day call for something? Doesn't my guilt, doesn't my contrition, don't my prayers, don't, don't they matter more? Doesn't it? Br- you can add nothing to Christ. You can add nothing to His grace. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If you continue hanging on to the law, then you are saying to Christ, no, thank you. I don't need to participate in you. I don't need life in you. Because you see, the word righteousness here is that which concerns how one is justified before a holy God. And right away, that part of us cringes when we hear the scandal of grace. Well, you're rejecting that because you're rejecting goodness. You're an antinomian tonight. No. No, 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 no. We come back to the law in the right order. Not law first and then we are accepted by God. But because he has fulfilled it, because we have been crucified in Christ, we now come as those who love him and who desire to keep his commandments. Paul doesn't reject God's grace by rejecting the law as an instrument of justification. The law doesn't serve grace. For in making a holy God known, that law brings what? It only brings death. It can only make known your need for deliverance and for grace. And so how can we be delivered from it? Calvin writes this, we are delivered from the yoke of the law only by becoming one with Christ. Paul writes, Galatians 3.21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. If the law could function that way, there would be no need, no need for Christ to give himself as a sacrifice for us. 
Jesus' death is in vain if we might have been saved without it. I do not nullify the grace of God. Because if I do, Paul writes in Galatians 5 verse 4, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Calvin again, he who ascribes to works for anything makes void the death of Christ. So do not fall prey to that temptation tonight. Do not look to yourself. You've been crucified. Do not look to your works. They're just ordained beforehand that you would walk in them. Because if you keep looking at those things, you will deny Christ. And you will deny the efficacy of his death. And so what should we be giving our attention to on this Good Friday? I have life that is not my own. Faith which is not my own. Grace that I have done nothing, nothing to deserve. All that is mine, all that is yours, is in Christ. And when we remember that, when we proclaim that, when we rest in that, when we feast in that, then we're brought to the most eternal wonder because it brings us even tonight to the greatest praise and thanks when we remember that he did all this for what end? Why was he willing to suffer so and to die so and to be cursed and to be forsaken so? To give his blood for me. To give his righteousness to me. To give me his robes and to take mine. To give faith to believe an amazing grace to me. How sweet it sounds. Do you believe that? Do you give him thanks for that? Do you glorify him for that? Or start back at the beginning. Is your life his? Is your faith his? Is your grace his? Are you finding your assurance not in yourself, but in him? If that is our commitment together, then let us, brothers and sisters, give ourselves to knowing nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified in the joy that we know him as risen and coming again with life and liberty to all who believe. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of the gospel for the blessing of our participation in Jesus Christ. Father, that is why this Friday is so good. Not because your son had to suffer so, of which we have confessed all of our sins to you, but, Father, that he was willing to do it because he loved us and gave himself for us, to have us, a body of Christ together, individuals within that body. He has done it to have us. And so, Lord, when we think of him, your son not sparing, you sent him to die, we scarce can take it in. Let our souls sing how great thou art, 
How great thou art, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.